Getting value on your shopping has never been more important. That's why at SuperValue we have great offers for a quality summer. Shop hundreds of low prices online at supervalue.ie and get them hand-picked and delivered to your door. Order before 12 noon for same-day delivery or collection. Plus, when you download our new Real Rewards app, you'll get money off vouchers every single week. That's low prices that compete with anyone. Supervalue. Real food. Real people. The Hard Shoulder on News Talk with Nissan Subscribe and Drive. No deposit, no compromise, no fuss. Find out more at nissan.ie. Welcome back to The Hard Shoulder. Kieran Cudahy with you until 7 o'clock this evening, coming to you live from Lowe's Hotel in Boston, Massachusetts. And of course, all this week uh, on this on this show, I should say, and right across the station, we've been marking 20 years of news talk, two decades uh, on air, the 20th anniversary uh, back in 2002, news talk was launched. And there on day one, on air on day one, was off the balls Jerry Gilroy. Jerry, you're very welcome to the show. How are you? I'm still young, Kieran. I'm still young. I don't know what you're talking sure, about. This, sure, sure, This doesn't make sure, any sense sure. to me. It feels like yesterday. Youth is a relative concept, Jerry. I mean, you well, know, so yeah. you, go, you go with it. Yeah, I still like to be the youngest person in some rooms, but it happens increasingly rarely now. <laughs> you you would have been young. How young were you when News Talk I was 24. Was you never ask a lady her age, but you've done it straight off the bat here. I was 24, which makes me 44 for all those people who are smart with the uh, good with the maths. Wow, 24 years old. I mean, we like I say, we've been talking about it a bit on the show um, and across the station during the week, but can you maybe go back a little further in time, pre-launch? The station nearly didn't happen. What happened was the, the a, a license for a local Dublin talk station came up and the various local stations, who all hated each other, were mm, suspicious of each other and decided that the only way to prevent this from becoming... Uh, too much of a success was if they all clubbed together and decided that they would take some control of it. And then it sat there, having been awarded to this uh, conglomerate, with nobody having any real intention to actually put it on the air as far as people could see, until Leonard Ryan and Mickey O'Rourke, who were then the owners of Satanta, came along and invested some extra money in and suddenly everybody had to actually put it together and uh, make it happen. And so the, the person who was charged with building the first schedule was actually Dara O'Brien, um, people will know him from presenting the rugby on RTE now because mm. um, he'd been working with Satanta and they were kind of the ones who were like look, knocking heads together let's get this done and um, I had worked for Satanta beforehand so they were like could you look after the sport? I was like yes please that would be great um, and uh, he hired George Hook and and after that they hired uh, Pete Lunn from the ESRI he was the first station editor and Pete would have put together the vast majority of the rest of the schedule as far as I know um at that stage and, and hired the various editorial staff who ended up putting the thing on air and making sure that the lights came on and that there were people ready to speak into the microphone. And um, some people did that proficiently, some less proficiently at the start. <laughs> Tell me, like when they said to you, will you take care of the sport? I mean, what were they tasking you with initially? I mean, was it kind of do, we have do, we airtime. Have sports newsy stuff? or we, was oh, it, everything. We've got a... Big plan for hours of sports coverage. What was it? It was, uh, we have these gaps in the schedule. There'll be an evening gap and there'll be weekend gaps and we'll need people to read sports bulletins every hour on the air. So Ruth McAvinia and Jerry O'Sullivan uh, from Jerry's from Radio Kerry. Ruth works with one of the space agencies now. Uh, they were the first two sports readers on Off the Ball Monday to Friday. 
Uh, Sinead Kassan joined fairly soon afterwards. And the evening show was myself and Dara Whelan was a part-time producer for the first few weeks. We were like, he can't be part-time anymore. This is... Uh, the whole budget for the entire sports output on News Talk was 150 grand for the year, which was not very much, it turns out. Wow. Wow. Especially when you were paying you probably 100 of that. Oh, I mean, 127. <laughs> um, like, so... The, the two-hour show, the off-the-ball show then in the evening, um, what were the expectations or what were the conversations that were being had behind the scenes about that show? None. There were no expectations. I was completely <laughs> free to do what I wanted because the rest of the schedule was in chaos, it's fair to say. One of my abiding memories very early on is, um, I don't know if people are familiar with or remember Navin Man, which was the evening sketch that would run on The Last Word when Eamon Dunphy was the yes. presenter. Yeah. Sure, Carolyn, who went on to make Love Hate, was one of the, the main people behind it, alongside Stephen Price, I think. But uh, very funny, very famous, and very important at the time. And I'd say about three weeks in, they did a review, Navin Man did his review of the uh, News Talk schedule. We knew it was coming in advance. Somebody had tipped somebody off, and so everybody was listening, and... Uh, it's fair to say that they absolutely skewered the station. Liam Fay wrote one of his acerbic takedowns and it was a takedown from start to finish of every single aspect of the chaos that was going on. And as a result, because the only thing that matters in Irish radio is 7am to 7pm, that's what um, where all the ads are sold and all the value was put on back in the day, no one cared what we did. So we were completely free to make our mistakes barely ever got any air checks from anybody from an editorial perspective. Certainly nobody was telling us what to do because they hadn't a clue because there was no template for sports programming. And so we were free. Um, and look, I, I, the biggest sports story in the history of the world, certainly the Irish world, happened a month after we went on air. And so suddenly people were tuning into us because the time difference between us and Saipan was pretty good. And we were ringing up everybody going, what's going on? What's the story? And everybody wanted to talk about it. So... A perfect coalescence of us having uh, an idea of what we wanted to do, which was largely similar to the last word on sports. Um, I make no bones about it. That was that was the best sports programming that there was, but it was only a half hour on a Friday and a half hour on a Monday or maybe 40 minutes. Um, and here we were free to do what we wanted for two hours every night. So, so like what, what when you say like that was the model, but it was only half an hour on a Friday. I mean, what, what was that model? What were you trying to, to bring create a, that didn't exist? To bring a current affairs approach to sports broadcasting where people actually talked for more than two minutes at the top of the hour about sports, but talked about it in a way with people who were interested, who like if you think about it, right? People really, 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 really care about the sport that they're into. Whereas with a lot of politics, it's like, how does this affect me? With sport, it's like, how does this make me feel? That's a very fundamental difference. And if you take that seriously and you give it room to breathe, you find all sorts of interesting stories and all sorts of interesting people um, who are very articulate about stuff they know a lot about. That makes generally for compelling content if you ask some fairly straightforward, rudimentary questions. Um, and so that's what happens. Like, uh, there was an audience... Almost straight away. The rest of the station didn't do very well. There was lots of struggle and a lot of focus on that because, you know, there was um, big investment made. And because of that, I say we were free. But then, like, within six months, we started to register on the JNLR. And within a year, we were kind of winning our time slot, which was unheard of before and since, to be honest. Like, it's, you know, it's very hard to win your time slot, but it was an early success. Did, did, did that bring scrutiny? Uh, no, because we, like... I mean, we were uh, young punks who weren't going to listen to anybody anyway. So uh, oh, there was it. no, there was no, honestly, like, you know, 
you definitely think back about how arrogant you are as a in your 20s and regret how arrogant you were in your 20s and we definitely could have sought more advice and maybe listened to a bit more but to be honest like again nobody cared because there was so many other things like so many other issues that like bear in mind the station lost a lot of money for a long period of time mm. a lot, was a lot there... of money over a long period of time and so if there's yeah. a sports show in the evening and they're kind of like yeah, okay go on off you go whoosh. go on but did um, was there a moment then in those early days like beyond Jane Lalore figures where you felt there was a breakthrough? I mean, was there a point at which maybe people were kind of, oh, you're Jerry Gilroy from off the ball? Well, uh, I remember standing outside the building one day and a van pulled up and the window wheeled down. I was like, stop, I'm talking about Roy Keane. And this was like <laughs> six weeks in. We were like, well, this is, what? what? And from that, I don't know. The recognition thing, because it's radio and um, it's entirely a different world for people listening who there was no, there were no photographs of us anywhere, which was great. There was like a complete freedom in that too. So um, there were no camera phones. There was no social media. It was, um, there was like, we started podcasting, I think around 2004, but you know, only the early adopters were getting the stuff on podcasts. Um, how, how has the show changed? If someone were to go back and listen to, the early episodes. I think. I mean, fun- well, forget, forget whatever about the kind of professionalism. Maybe you know what I mean. An experience that 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 leads to professionalism. I just mean in terms of in terms of content and in terms of how stories are treated. Has it changed? Yeah, it, absolutely. And I think um, the the personnel is something that allows that to evolve. So, like Ken Early coming on full time. The football show started at that point. The football show still exists. It's obviously different. Um, the news round kind of begins around the, is it the Greece, the Athens Olympics, um, where we start to have more people in studio more often for longer periods. And that's the beginning of, of that more people sound. But I, I think like the the interest in doping is established from early, very early doors, 2002. The kind of holding people to account is established pretty early on the 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 woke bullshit that um people would say that was uh, that was right there from the get-go i have to say so that never changed really i know <laughs> joking i mean we were look are you, are you interested in the world or so sport can exist on its own or sport can exist as part of the rest of the world which is actually how it really does and that was our interest in it it was um it was never free from like i, I definitely remember talking about uh the super clubs and the european super league we're very early on, inside the first six months. And here we are, UEFA yesterday, agreeing that they're basically going to take all of the parts of the European Super League and usher them through without it being under the title of a breakaway group called the European Super League. Um, the doping in sports stories, we were covering that. Like, we were covering Lance Armstrong at that stage. Like, that was kind of peak territory for you, being able to talk about the fact that um, uh, there was an Irish masseuse who had... Um, turned whistleblower and had given given David Walsh stories and we were covering all those in a way and we had the we had the airtime in the room to do it that other shows either didn't think people were interested in incorrectly or didn't know enough or weren't interested enough to do the kind of proper research on it to be able to carry it off properly you though had a stint on breakfast radio tell me about that um so i would have filled in for George Hook on the right hook and Eamon Dunphy on breakfast a good bit in 2005 and 2006. And so when the station went national, 
Um, Dunphy left. I, I, I don't know the details of the falling out. Um, but myself and Claire Byrne were lined up to present the breakfast show from the, the period where we went national, which I think is sometime in 2006, kind of uh, late summer, 06, maybe maybe early early autumn, um, which in itself was like <laughs> shrouded in controversy because we did our first show, which was decent, and then immediately arrived off to a legal letter from TV3 injuncting Claire from presenting um, until she served a period of notice. And then that ended up in the high court and Claire couldn't present for the first month of the new show on the station. So... That was an interesting start. <laughs> but how did, how did you end up moving? I mean, you, you mentioned like you filled in. Well, I did like a full for, summer for, for, for George and for Eamon Dunphy. Hook had but long I mean, holidays. So he, he had like, I think I did a six week stint one summer. And um, and I just enjoyed I it. And again, like. Listen, uh, I, th- I think that should come as part of the deal in the afternoon. But anyway, um, but I mean, was that by design? Or did they just look around and were like, listen, George's great on air. Let's get George to fill in for George. Or were you the one pushing it? Did you say, listen, I, I'm not just sport. I want to do other stuff here. I'm pretty sure I get an extra 100 quid for presenting. So I was like, uh, definitely interested. Just this, a, this a is mercenary a, thing. In your early 20s, this is very important. This is the yes. difference between having a super weekend or an okay weekend. Um, I, I, look, I guess it, it felt relatively... So I was on the right hook every night um, doing uh, two bits, like at 20 past five and 20 past six. Um, and I ended up... When when the right hook had started, uh, I I guess as a, as a bit of a reaction to what was going on on the last word, which was obviously its main rival, which was a former football pundit up against a former rugby pundit, there had been a decision made not to do too much sport on the show. But over a period of time, I was doing sport on the show every night, and then became a bigger part of the show. And so when George went on holidays, they were like, "Would you do this?" And I was like, "Yeah, okay." So it was just it it wasn't any uh, grand strategic plan. I think. Um, you know, that wasn't really happening at that time. It was like, oh, hey, you're around. You can do this. Off you go. And then how did you end up back it off the ball? Uh, well, I got fired for breakfast, so, you know, had to go somewhere. That's not a million miles away from... Uh, look, my, my time at breakfast had, uh, had run its course, I think it's fair to say. Um, the 3.45 a.m. alarm start. We used to start the show at 6 as opposed to 7, oh. which was... Um, which was a, a a mistake in retrospect. But yeah, like, you know, I think I did it for two and a half years. I think the show was pretty good. I would still stand over most of the work that we did. And then, like, for people listening now, that like that you're, you're not on air, as it were, or certainly not as much, you know, but you're broadcasting every day. Um, maybe talk to me a little bit about that move that diversification if we call it the digital element of off the ball i i'm sure you're uh, listening every morning to otbam which is uh, the sports breakfast show from off the ball so we we set up a um we took off the ball as a radio show and unpacked it because there was a, a big demand people were kind of saying we listen every night between seven and ten but then you go home we don't hear from you again for you know the next 21 hours where are you all day and we thought okay well we could actually build a breakfast show so we have a breakfast show which i i host four mornings a week with owen and then i do the evening show on a friday here on news talk and we just turned that into sports content on demand for fans of off the ball and broke it down by sports so we have a huge rugby podcast we have a huge uh, ga podcast network we have a huge soccer podcast network which is based and starts in the football show and then runs into football saturday 
with John Duggan and then we've got the live games on Sunday on News Talk but we're also across all of the other radio stations in the Barra group so you'll hear off the ball stuff on 98FM and Today FM and it was just an opportunity to grow the business where sports fans are very keen to get good quality stuff from people they like and trust and uh, thankfully enough of them came with us some people hate us that's fine that's going to happen to you uh, but those people who like us really like us and they, they keep listening to our podcasts um, so I, th- I think it, like the technology again was the other thing that allowed us to broadcast across Facebook YouTube and Twitter and we very quickly had to tailor our products it's like short stuff on Twitter it's longer stuff on YouTube and then the podcasts are people who are really into something who want extra information we're able to give them that with like Brian O'Driscoll and Ron O'Gar and people like that the, the, like there's a view and it's by no means a universal view but there's a view that that's where all broadcast radio is going I mean have you a position on that yeah I don't I don't believe that I think that the FM dial and the the, the product that is produced on the FM dial is so immediate and uh, you can you can react to it in a way that you know hundreds of thousands of people are also listening to this product at the same time. And that's different from podcasts. And there's actually a different feel from doing podcasts or pre-recorded stuff where you know in the middle of it that somebody isn't actually going to actively interact with you. That's changing a bit. The The YouTube platform is getting a little bit better at it, but it's still not the same. And sure, future generations might have no interest in how radio is delivered at the moment. But again, I'm not really convinced that that's going to be the case because, you know, radio is going to survive nuclear war like cockroaches. There will be shortwave radio. It's uh, There's just a, a simplicity around the technology that will allow mass audiences to build quickly. And as a result of that, brands and people and uh, communities will be built and continue to be built around radio. So I, I think that actually what's happening is that uh, radio is allowing um, uh, a lot of new people to access their audience through podcasts and audio on demand. And it's it's a really compelling, I actually think it's a really exciting future for audio if you think about it in those terms. I know, listen, before we wrap it up, I know you're not one for that kind of sentimentality or blowing your own trumpet, but like off the ball, and you were at the helm of it in the early days, like it, it is true to say, isn't it, that it changed sports radio in Ireland? Look, the first thing I'd say is that... Um, as you know, sitting you're you're sitting in a studio in Boston, and you couldn't do your job today without everybody involved, from the producers and researchers on this side to the technical team. That like none of this happens without a massive group of people. And off the ball, it's been unbelievably fortunate over the last twenty years to have had some of the best and most interesting, most creative people working on the team at various stages. Some of them are on the team now. Some of them uh, have left and gone on to absolutely amazing things themselves as well. So. It's been a breeding ground for great talent. That's the first thing. Nothing would have happened without that. So the second part of that is there was no sports radio in Ireland apart from local radio, which was just live stuff at the weekend. Now, as soon as we set it up, RTE launched various nightly sports shows, which have kind of limped on in different guises over the last 20 years and and never really caught hold in the public's imagination in the way that Off the Ball has been able to do because, like, we, we live this stuff. Uh, well, long may it continue. Sure, an absolute pleasure. Thanks a million. Cheers. Drivers of Ireland, it's now or never. When you want the great value cover that only comes with super value car insurance, giving you a 10% online discount and shopping vouchers with your policy. That's a great deal for the cover you need anyway. All it takes is one big click or call. 
Just visit supervalue.ie slash insurance or call 0818 0101101 and our Supervalue team will save the day. So, give us a spin. Terms and conditions apply. Vouchers include two 10 euro or 40 euro spend. This car insurance is underwritten by AXA Insurance DAC. Supervalue Financial Services DAC trading as Supervalue Insurance is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.